Matthew chapter 1. You know, the birth of Christ contains mysteries that no human can fully understand. We can't explain them. You know, there's no doubt about it. There's grand portions of the Christmas story that are supernatural in nature. You can't deny it. And because of that, unbelievers often mock the Bible rendition of Christmas, make fun of it and laugh at it, like, (laughs) how could that possibly be true? And uh, skeptics will question it. And uninformed Christians don't want to talk about it because they don't know what to say when people ask them questions. And yet informed Christians, if you know the Bible and you know what the Bible teaches, uh, we don't have to be afraid of that. We believe those mysteries by faith. Even though we may not be able to fully humanly explain them, we still believe them by faith because we have faith in what God said. And, you know, as we think about that, as I I was pondering this message and preparing, thinking, all right, now, how can we help others? You know, there may be someone here today that would say, you know, that sounds all fine and good, but that's all based on the Bible, and I'm not sure I believe the Bible. And there's a lot of people in our world that feel that way. You know, the, the Bible, can I trust the Bible? Is the Bible authoritative? And, you know, as you think about that, one of the things that is a great help to me and it, it, it's been an encouragement to others. Is over in, uh, I want to read one verse in Romans chapter 1. And I want to spend a little bit of time pondering this just in preparation and laying a foundation for our faith. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What is God saying there? He's saying that, Creation around us ought to tell us there is a God. And anyone who would honestly look at creation and the things around us would have to say there's no other good explanation for what we see around us. And you know, there's a lot of people that say, oh yeah, but evolution, evolution's got the answer. Well, uh, let me just share a couple of things with you that'll help you to see that evolution doesn't have the answer. All right? I want to quote from a man named Dr. David Menton. And he wrote an article called, Can Evolution Produce an Eye? And in the article, he makes a statement, and I quote, The human brain consists of approximately 12 billion cells, forming 120 trillion interconnections. The light-sensitive retina of the eye, which is really part of the brain, contains over 10 million photoreceptor cells. These cells capture the light pattern formed by the lens and convert it into a complex electrical signals which are then sent to a special area of the brain where they are transformed into sensations called vision. Our eye is a complication. and Our eye is just one little tiny part of our body. But our eye is very complicated. And along those same lines, Charles Darwin had something to say about that as well. And I want to quote from Charles Darwin's book, The Origin of Species, version, or ed, uh, edition 6, pages 143 and 144. Charles uh, uh, Darwin said this, To suppose that the eye, with, an, <clears throat> with, its all, uh, with all its imitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, for the correction of the spherical and chromatic aberration could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest possible degree. 
So even Charles Darwin, the great hero of evolution, says the eye couldn't have been formed by natural selection. It, it's too complex. And, you know, you think about things like that. That's just one little tiny example of the millions of things in creation and nature around us that cry out that there has to be a designer. There has to be someone out there that made it all, that is much more powerful than any of us. And that one is God. And that God is described for us throughout the pages of the Bible. And the Bible depicts for us these things. And so therefore, the Bible, I believe, which is God's word, is trustworthy. And the Bible is dependable. And it is credible. And we can depend upon what the Bible says. And therefore, I don't have a problem believing what God says in the Bible about the Christmas story that seems phenomenal, that seems beyond reason, that seems out of touch with reality. And so as we look at some of these mysteries this morning, I want to just use the scriptures to shed some light on these mysteries to try to help us to understand better and increase our faith in the scriptures and in God as we look at these. And so the first mystery that I want us to consider here, before I I dig into that, I need to read our text. We're in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And... uh, The text this morning begins with verse number 21. Matthew 1, verse 21. Speaking of Mary, it says, And she shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Those verses contain many mysteries. Three big ones that stand out. And those are the three that I want us to look at here this morning. The first mystery that I see here that stands out in these verses is that the Christ of Christmas was virgin born. Virgin born. Now, that certainly is a mystery. How could such a thing be possible? Mary was still yet a virgin when Christ was born. Humanly speaking, that is impossible. No child can be born without a father and without a mother. That is impossible. And yet, that's exactly what God said took place here. Man cannot create life. They can't create life in a test tube. The most brilliant scientists will never be able to create life because life is, comes from God. Oh, they may be able to create things that are similar, but they can't create life because life comes from God. God is the source of life. And because God is the source of life, only God can create life. And God is able to do it in his own way, as he did here with Mary. Now, the angel Gabriel told this sexually pure virgin named Mary that she would conceive. And this was a shock to Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 31 makes this statement when the angel was speaking to her and says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in the womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He said, you're going to conceive and bear a son. And how did Mary respond to that? Well, she was obviously very troubled. And she spoke to the angel Gabriel. 
and said these words. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also this holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Mary couldn't understand it. She said, I don't know a man. I'm not married. I've not had sexual relations with somebody. How could this be possible? And the angel said, God will place that babe in you. And Christ was born both human and divine. He was the God-man. Something we can't understand. Something we cannot really comprehend. Mary was his human mother. We know that. And yet, she was just a woman like every other woman. She was not a sinless woman. She was not a supernatural woman. She was just a woman. And yet, she was the mother of Jesus Christ. She gave birth to him. She was a virgin. She had never known a man sexually. We saw that already in Luke 1 to 34. And Christ had no human father. That doesn't make any sense to us. Joseph made this very clear. He knew that it wasn't him that was involved in this. And that's why in Matthew chapter 1, the angel was speaking here to Joseph. Joseph was concerned. And Joseph found out that Mary was expecting a baby and heard this wild tale of that uh, she was conce- had conceived by God. Uh, and he said, well, this can't be. You know? And he was thinking about saying, breaking off the engagement, saying, we're, we just aren't going to be able to continue this because you know, something's not adding up here. And the angel came to him and said, no, th- what she's telling you is the truth. She's telling you the truth. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall save his people from his sins. And then when he said, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. He says, The angel told Joseph, It's true, Joseph. What she's telling you is the truth. And then look at down in verse number 25. Joseph still uh, referred to here. And it says, And jo- he uh, knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Joseph and Mary did not have physical relations together until... They, uh, she had given birth to Jesus. And that confirmed in Joseph's mind that he had nothing to do with this. And it was the truth. And the scriptures tell us clearly that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. And God was involved in her miraculous birth. You know, this verse also, verse 25, is an interesting verse. Very important one. Because... It also dissolves all the false teachings that Mary remained a virgin the rest of her life. You know, there are some churches that teach, oh, Mary was a virgin for the rest of her life. No, she wasn't. She was a virgin until she gave birth to Jesus. And then Joseph and Mary had regular relationships as a husband and wife. And they bore several children together. The scriptures tell us that. Over in in the book of Mark, chapter 6, and verse number 3, we read, uh, that his, these are Jesus' enemies who were saying this to Jesus, and they were saying, you know, is, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and, 
and the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. So Jesus had all these brothers and sisters, plural. There was more than one sister. So we know that he had half-brothers and sisters through the, the marriage of Joseph and Mary. So Mary didn't remain a virgin the rest of her life. She was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus, yes, but didn't remain a virgin. Now, though all these things are beyond reason, doesn't make sense. How could Christ possibly be born of a virgin? Well, the scriptures tell us that it's true, and God assures us that it was true, and it was very important that it was true. One of the reasons that it was important that it was true is because Jesus Christ did not inherit the sin nature that is passed on to every one of us. Every one of us were born sinners because our parents were sinners and their parents were sinners and their parents were sinners all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned against God. And that did not pass on to Jesus Christ who was God in human flesh. The second mission uh, mystery that I see here is that the Christ of Christmas was God. He was God. And we see his name. His name is called Emmanuel. There in verse number 23 it says that the name Emmanuel being interpreted as God with us. Jesus Christ was God. Jesus Christ was God in human flesh. You know, the angel of the Lord told Joseph and Mary that he would be called Emmanuel. And this was a quotation from the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. In Isaiah 7, 14, we read, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That was written well over 700 years before Christ was born. Jesus Christ was born of Mary, a virgin, and he was God in human flesh. You know, when we start wondering this and thinking, you know, none of this makes sense. How could God become a man? How could all that happen? You know, that sounds like a fairy tale. Remember the eye. Remember the eye we just talked about? God is powerful. God is mighty. God created all things. God created that eye with all those millions and millions of, of cells and, and, and the things in it to make it so that I can see and you can see like we can. It's an amazing thing God did. You know, the universe and all that is in it displays the detail and the design and the organization and the wonder of an unexplainable creation that cannot be understood in any other logical way than to say that it was the act of an almighty, powerful God. God did it. It wasn't an act of an explosion. It wasn't the part of a, a long, slow, random chance. You know, you think about the evolutionary stories that they tell. Of how, oh, well, you give it long enough. You know, you give it many enough billions of years and it can happen. Things don't get better no matter how long you give it. You know, you keep your car. You keep your car for a billion years. Is it going to get better? No, it's going to rust into a pile of rust. It doesn't get better. And that is not the way we, what we see in nature. That goes against the laws of thermodynamics that say that everything is breaking down instead of getting better. 
Evolution doesn't, is not credible. It is an excuse to say that God was wrong. That's the only thing it is. God's word tells us that he made it all. And we can depend upon God. And you know, compared to the complexity of my eye and the details of all that God did in us, you think about that and then you ask yourself, how hard would it be for that same God to put himself into a human body and live among men for 33 years? To me, that seems much easier than all the things he did in creation to create everything. And so... It may seem unreal. It may seem bizarre to think that God could do that. But I believe God did, just as he said. You know, Christ was God in the flesh. In big theological terms, we call that the incarnation. The incarnation of Christ, when God became a man and lived among us. The Apostle John wrote in John chapter 1, in verse number 1, In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We find down later, a few verses later in the chapter, verse 14, he says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ became a man and lived among us, and men saw him. They ate with him. They were with him. They watched him. They were part of his life for those 33 years that he lived in this life. Jesus Christ was human, and yet he was God. Even his disciples, who spent much time with him, they watched him do things. And and remember the time when they were out on the water and the storm was raging, and Jesus, they woke him up and said, Jesus, we're going to perish. And Jesus woke up And he stood up and said, peace, be still. And everything instantly was quiet. What did the disciples do? They go, who is this guy? That is amazing. See, Jesus Christ was a man, yes, but he was also God. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a mighty man. He was God. After Jesus rose from the dead, Thomas, the disciple, told the other disciples, I will not believe. I don't care. I will not believe unless I see him in person and see the holes in his wrists where they put those nails in and see the hole in his side where they stuck the spear in. I won't believe. And Jesus stood in front of them and said, Thomas, come here. And he says, Thomas, look. See for yourself. Look at the hole in my side, Peter. Look at where the scar is. See for yourself. And what did Peter do? He fell on his face and said, My Lord and my God. Jesus Christ was God. We read over in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the world, received up into glory. God was manifest in the flesh. It was God that came to live with us. Jesus Christ was God. Speaking of Christ, the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 and 8, he says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and made himself, um, uh, was made in the likeness of men, being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 
Jesus Christ was God. With all the Bible evidence, do not let the incarnation of Christ baffle your faith. The evidence ought to strengthen our faith. The evidence ought to help us to say, yes, Jesus Christ was God. And yes, He did live among us. And so we've looked at two of these mysteries. The mystery of the virgin birth. The mystery of the fact that Jesus Christ was God. But I want us to notice the third mystery, and that is the mystery that Christ, the Christ of Christmas was born to die. He was born to die. And you say, well, what's the mystery about that? Well, as we look into it, and you look at why he was born to die, it becomes more of a mystery to us. And not only that, but there's not a one of us that was born to die. We were born to live. When your mother gave birth to you, she wasn't saying, I sure hope he dies today, or I sure hope she dies today. No, they, they gave birth so we'd live. And sometimes it is tragic, and some mothers have lost little ones when they're just infants like that, and that is a tragedy. And the reason that they weep and cry and mourn over it is because they weren't born to die. They were born to live. And yet Jesus Christ was born to die. His name, notice what his name was there in Matthew one twenty one. She should bring forth a son. She'll call his name Jesus. And then it goes on to tell us what Jesus means. For he shall save his people from their sins. The word Jesus refers to Savior. And you ask yourselves, Savior from what? Did he save us from drowning in the ocean? Did he save us from a snake getting biting us? What did he save us from? Well, the scriptures tell us very clearly that he saved us from our sins. He offers to save us from our sins, and our sin is a great plague to us. Since the Garden of Eden, sin has plagued every human being and separated them from God. And those who have died without putting their faith in him have plunged into a miserable eternity. You see, God didn't create us as just finite beings that live for a little time and when you die, you're dead. You know, there's a lot of people out there I've talked to in our world that just say, you know, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in eternity. I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in hell. When you die, you're dead. That's the end of the story. Well, they may think that, but that's not what God tells us in the Scriptures. God tells us, and deep down inside, we kind of know that there's something more than that. God's put in a sense in each one of us that there's got to be something beyond this life. And that's why the Bible tells us that God has created us eternal beings. Every one of us are going to live somewhere forever. And the Bible says there's only two options. You'll either live with God in heaven forever, or you'll be separated from God forever, paying for your own sin in hell. That's not a very nice option. And that's why, because of that, as God looked down upon his human creation that he created, God knew that even though these wonderful people that I designed so marvelously and gave them brilliant minds and and gave them everything that they could want and wish for in the Garden of Eden, and they had everything that God had was perfect for them, God says, I know that deep down inside they'll rebel against me. They won't listen. They'll do it their way instead of my way. And God said, when they do, I'll have to separate from them. That was not God's wish. That was not God's choice. 
But Adam and Eve did exactly that. God had given them a free will. You know, sometimes people say, well, why didn't God just make them so they couldn't sin? Well, it's a nice thought, but think about that. If God would have made them so they could not possibly sin, they would be robots doing things exactly God's way. God pushes all the buttons and they jump and he pushes another one and they do what, you know. God didn't want robots. Each one of you who have family members that you love, you don't want your family member to love you just because somebody pushed the button and said, go love them. Go tell them that you love them. Go give them a hug. We wouldn't want that. That's not genuine love. That's just a put on. We want it to come from the heart. And so it is with God. God said, I can't make man with a bunch of robots and just force them to do what I want them to do. I'm going to give them a free will so that they will love me from their heart. But along with that free will also came the ability to choose the wrong. And they did. And you know, we can put our finger back and point at Adam and Eve and say, it's all their fault. Well, yeah, it is. But at the same time, every single one of us here have made wrong choices ourselves. We've chosen to sin. You know, not only have we been born sinners, but we've chosen to sin. We've chosen to do wrong. You think about life. You know, sometimes people I meet will say, well, I'm not a sinner. Don't call me a sinner. Well, just stop and think about life. What, is, what are the things in life, the, 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 the do's and don'ts of life? Most of them come from God, even though people don't realize that. But if you've ever taken and used God's name as a curse word, or if you've ever disobeyed your parent, you're growing up, ever disobeyed, <laughs> not a one of us here would be fool enough to say, I never disobeyed my parents. I always did exactly what they said. <laughs> We've all disobeyed. Have we ever taken something that wasn't ours? Even something small. Some little thing. Have you ever had a lustful thought towards someone? Ever told a lie? All of these are part of the Ten Commandments. And if we've done any of those, we've broken God's law. And God tells us in James chapter 2 and verse 10, He said if we break even one law, we're guilty of all. Even if we've been absolutely perfect, but the only thing we did wrong was they disobeyed mom and dad once. (laughs) We've still broken the law. We're still guilty. And we stand before God as guilty sinners. And because we're guilty sinners, Jesus Christ knew that we had a problem we couldn't fix. We've lost our fellowship with God. The relationship with God that God wanted has been severed by sin. And nothing can put that back together except the cleansing forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And therefore, God planned for Jesus Christ to come to this earth. God knew that we needed a Savior. He loved us. He loved us so much. He loved you so much that He came to this earth and was willing to leave heaven's glory and all that He had there to come down to this earth and was hated and cursed and spat upon and beaten and whipped and nailed to a cross and killed for something He didn't even do. To pay for a debt that I caused. He died for me.
And He died for you. And because He died for us, He was able to pay a debt that would have taken me all eternity to pay. And He paid it for me. But not only did He pay it for me, He paid it for you. Every single one of you, Jesus Christ paid that debt for you. But just like at Christmas time, someone this Christmas is going to offer you a gift. And they hold out that gift to you and say, I got this gift just for you. And if you're not very kind and not very loving, and you say to them, I don't want your gift. Keep it. It's not yours. And you won't enjoy it, and you won't partake in it because it is not yours. You didn't take it. They bought it for you. They might have even wrapped it all up. They handed it to you, but you said, no, I don't want it. The same thing is true with God. God has prepared salvation. Jesus Christ came as the Savior of the world. He died for me. He died for you. He paid the debt. And he offers it to us as a gift. And if you say, keep it, God, I don't want it, then you will never be able to stand before God on Judgment Day and say, God, you're not fair. How can you send me to hell? That's not fair. And he'll say, I offered you my forgiveness and cleansing. You turned it down. You turned it down. It's not my fault. I paid the debt in full. You turned it down. See, Jesus Christ came to be our Savior. He came on a mission. He came to die. That's why He came to this earth. We read in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, for the angels speaking to the shepherds that night that Christ was born, they said in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. A Savior. One who would save you from your sins. Luke chapter 19, verse number 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying. Worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The Apostle Paul said, of whom I'm chief. I'm the chief of them. 1 John chapter 3, and verse 5 says, And ye know that He was manifested to take away our sins. And in Him is no sin. Jesus Christ came to this earth for one reason. He was born to die. To pay for my sin, to take away my sin and yours. That is a wonderful, wonderful truth of Christmas that we need to grasp. Christ completed His mission by dying on the cross and raising to life again. And ascending back into heaven. And now, as I said a moment ago, He offers you the gift of eternal life and forgiveness. Every one of those sins that you have committed, whether they may be big or small, whether they may be known or secret, God knows them. And He died for them. And He offers you forgiveness if you will receive it. But you have to take it. If you receive His forgiveness and cleansing, He'll not only wash you clean, but He will give you a home in heaven for all eternity. That is amazing. That is amazing. We have a wonderful God. A wonderful God.
Christ was born to die in our place. So that there is no need for any human being to spend eternity separated from God in hell forever. There's no reason for that if they will receive Him as their Savior. You know, the Christmas story is a mystery. It's a mystery that Christ was born to die for the human race. Why would God do that? Because He loved us dearly. My wife and I have three boys. I wouldn't give any of my boys to die for you. I might be selfish, but I'm just telling you the truth. And yet God in heaven loved me, a filthy sinner, so much that He gave His Son to die in my place. Not just to suffer on that cruel cross, but somehow in another mystery that we're not going to look at here in depth this morning, but He was able to take my entire payment of eternal damnation in hell and pay for it in full. I can't comprehend that. And yet Jesus did it for me. Because God loved me. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you have not received that gift, God offers it to you today. It's yours to take if you'll take it. He wants to forgive you. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you a home in heaven. He wants that fellowship to be bonded again between you and God. He wants you to be able to spend eternity with Him, glorifying Him and fellowshipping with Him. The choice is up to you. I've sought to shed some light on the three mysteries of Christmas that we've looked at here this morning. The virgin birth, the God-man, and the fact that Jesus Christ was born to die for our sins. If these mysteries were not true, then we would have no reason for Christmas. And not only that, but we would have no hope. We would die like a dog and rot like a log, and that's the end of the story. No hope. But that's not the end of the story, because Jesus does care, and Jesus is alive, and Jesus does love us. And He did pay the debt for us. And now, at this Christmas, God is offering to you the greatest gift that has ever been offered to any human being. A gift of eternal life and forgiveness and cleansing and a home in heaven. You know, folks, I can't see in the heart of anyone here. I can't see your heart. I can only see the outside, and that doesn't give me a very clear picture sometimes. But God sees your heart. And as God looks down at your heart right now and asks you to search your heart, can you say for positive, I know for positive, I have humbled myself before God, I have repented of my sin, I have asked Jesus Christ to cleanse me and give me that new life that He paid for in that home in heaven. And as a result, He has changed me from the inside out and made me a new person. 
If you have never done that, you need to do that today. Don't put it off. Tomorrow may be too late. If you have done that, but you're not living for His glory, then it's time to just confess your wrong to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I haven't been living for Your glory. Would You please forgive me and help me to get busy doing what I ought to be doing for Your glory?